So turn to your Bibles to 2 Corinthians 12. Let's jump right in because I need every minute I can get tonight. If I'm going to get you out by midnight, we need to, we need to get going. Uh, honestly, we won't be that long, just 11. Okay, let's start in uh, 2 Corinthians uh, chapter 5 and verse 14. And let me just kind of set the stage for what we're going to read here. Uh, Paul is writing to the church of Corinth. He's writing to the believers there. Uh, they are being uh, pulled away by Judaizers who are saying, well, you know, uh, it's not enough. You, you need to do more to be saved or you're really not saved. He's trying to convince them not only that they are saved, he's trying to convince them that they have great blessings in Christ. And then he's trying to convince them to, on the basis of those blessings, to really do something for God. Uh, not just, um, uh, don't, don't waste that grace of God as we'll see in a moment. So let's start in verse uh, uh, 14 of chapter 5. For the love of Christ constraineth us, because we thus judge that if one died for all, then we're all dead. And that he died for all, that they which live should not henceforth live unto themselves, but unto him which died for them and rose again. Wherefore, henceforth, no, we, no man after the flesh, uh, meaning we regard no man after the flesh, though we have known Christ after the flesh, yet now henceforth know we him no more after the flesh. Therefore, if any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new. And all things are God, are of God, who hath reconciled us to himself by Jesus Christ, and hath given to us the ministry of reconciliation, to wit, that God was in Christ, reconciling the world unto himself, not imputing their trespasses unto them, and hath committed unto us the word of reconciliation. Now then, we are ambassadors for Christ, as though God did beseech you by us, we pray you in Christ's stead. Be ye reconciled to God, for he hath made him to be sin for us who knew no sin, that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. We then, as workers together with him, beseech you also that ye receive not the grace of God in vain. That phrase in vain means to no purpose. For he saith, I have heard thee in a time accepted, a favorable time in other words, and in the day of salvation have I succored thee. Behold, now is the accepted time. Behold, now is the day of salvation. Giving no offense in anything, that the ministry be not blamed, but in all things approving ourselves as the ministers of God. That's the, if I were to give the message a title, uh, that would be it. Approving ourselves as the ministers of God. Father, be with us now. Bless us as we look at your word. We need, uh, more than anything else, your power, your might, your strength, your presence. And so, Holy Spirit, we pray you would be our teacher. I pray in a special way that God would be glorified, that Christ would be preeminent, that the cross would be focused upon, that the Holy Spirit power would, would be unleashed, that lives would be changed. 
I just ask God that in a special way you would do what only you can do in Christ's name. Amen. Now I want you to see here, we're going we're gonna to kind of build up to this because we're, the, the actual text is in chapter 6, but I want you to see what Paul is trying to do, how he's preparing them. He's letting them know that they have indeed been saved. He's letting them know that uh, not only have they been saved, they have been reconciled. Or you could say both are the same thing. And he's telling them that, that you're a new person in Christ, you have been saved, and now you need to live for God. And here's why you need to live for God, because of this great teaching of reconciliation. Look in verse 18, he says, uh, All things are of God, who hath reconciled us to himself by Jesus Christ. That is a miracle. Reconciling means to make right, more or less. So God is saying that we are made right with him. What a blessing. Yeah, I don't know if you've thought much about that. Uh, but that's something that, 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 that is exceptional. In fact, he says in verse 17, if any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. Old things are passed away. Now, that, by the way, is in the aorist tense, which means it happened one time. We have, as old things are passed away, behold, all things are become new. Uh, that's in the present tense, which means it has, or passive tense, which means it has ongoing results. One time we were saved, one time in, uh, in space and time, but with ongoing results. If any man be in Christ, he's a new creature. Old things are passed away. Bam, that was salvation. Behold, all things are become or continue to become new. Now, what's he talking about? Verse 18, and all things are of God who hath reconciled us to himself by Jesus Christ. And then he has given us the ministry of reconciliation. So now we have a purpose for our life. You know, uh, a survey was done of, of elderly people, and in fact, it was a group of elderly people who were living to be over 100, and they wanted to know why were these people living so long? And one of the dominant reasons that they discovered after a lot of research is that they had a cause. They had a purpose. They had a reason to live. Uh, I fear sometime that uh, there are some Christians who get saved, but they, but they never have a purpose. Or if they have a purpose, it's not an eternal purpose. Ask yourself to, uh, tonight, what are you doing with your life that will last for eternity? What have you done with your life that will last for eternity? And don't point to your bank account or your houses or cars or lands because they won't last for eternity. But he says, we have a ministry, a ministry of reconciliation. That's not just for the minister. That's for everybody. Everybody should have a ministry. Then he says, uh, to wit, that God was in Christ reconciling the world unto himself, not imputing their trespasses unto them. So reconciliation then means that God does not impute uh, unto us our trespasses. He doesn't ascribe them. He doesn't write them down. In fact, look at Psalm 130. Keep your finger there. Uh, look at Psalm 130. We're going to use the Bible uh, a lot tonight, so uh, keep it handy. Uh, a marvelous statement about God. An exciting statement about God. A staggering statement about God that a lot of people don't know. In Psalm 130, 
The psalmist says, out of the depths have I cried unto thee, O Lord. Lord, hear my voice. Let thine ears be attentive to the voice of my supplication. If thou, Lord, shouldest mark iniquities, O Lord, who shall stand? But there is forgiveness with thee that thou mayest be feared. Now what he's saying is, God, I come to you with guilt. I come to you with shame, but you don't mark my iniquity. What does mark mean? It means to keep a record. It means to make a list. But it goes beyond the action. It goes to the, to the attitude, the motive. What is the motive of that? If, if I could uh, describe it, it would be best illustrated by what the men did to the woman in John chapter 8 when they caught her in the act of adultery. It's a gotcha moment. It's an attitude that says, I, I am looking for flaws and I want to write them down. God, you don't do that. That's just, this is what the psalmist is saying. You don't write my iniquities down. Instead, you forgive them. And you know, in the Old Testament, uh, there are what I call erasure texts. I call them that. I don't know anybody else that does, but uh, erasure, like an eraser. Erasure texts are the texts in the Old Testament that show that God totally uh, removes our sin. This is one of them. Uh, he does not mark our iniquity, but he also puts our sins behind his back. He also casts them in the depths of the sea. He also removes them as far as the east is from the west. He also blots them out like a cloud. He also remembers our sins and iniquities no more. All of those are saying that God does not impute unto us iniquity. My friend, I want you to understand something. Uh, the, the ministry of reconciliation, or God's miracle of reconciliation, I might, I, I, I might should say, is the fact that at salvation, at the cross, he forgave you all your sins. Not just your past sins, not just your present sins, but all your sins, even your future sins. He forgave you all of them. He imputes to you no iniquity. And this is what Paul's trying to uh, get across to these, uh, these folks here. And verse uh, 19, hath committed unto us the word of reconciliation. Now, what is this word of reconciliation? Well, we are ambassadors for Christ, as though God did beseech you by us. We pray you in Christ's stead, be ye reconciled. So the word of reconciliation is Paul saying to Christians, Paul saying to the church, according to, first, uh, to the uh, first three verses of this book, he's saying to them, you are believers, you are saved, but be ye reconciled. He's not talking about salvation. He's talking about come to an understanding of what you have in Christ. And on the basis of the grace found in that, he, 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 uh, he follows that up. Now look at what he says in verse uh, 21. Well, at the end of verse 20, he says, Be ye reconciled for. Be ye reconciled to God for or because he hath made him, God hath made Christ to be sin for us who knew no sin. And so God uh, made Christ to become sin, Christ who knew no sin. Now it's one thing 
uh, to die for sin. It's another thing to die because of sin. But it's a totally different thing to die as sin. Do you understand what happened on the cross? That God made Christ to be sin. He became sin for us. He who knew no sin. Why did he do that? That we, watch now, uh, that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. Now, that doesn't, that's not talking about a future work. That's talking about what happened at Calvary. We were made the righteousness of God. And so now we are accepted in the beloved. What that means in, in Ephesians 1, 6, quite basically, it just means that a God sees you the way he sees Christ, because you're in Christ. The love that God has for Christ, he has for you. When God gives Christ a hug, you get in on it, because you're in Christ. So the blessing here that, that, that uh, Paul is uh, preparing us for in, in this next chapter, the blessing is, listen, you're saved. You're a new person. Uh, you, need to you need to have a ministry. You need to have a ministry of reconciliation. And so he says, in the very first verse of chapter 6, look at it. He says, we then, as workers together with him, with Christ, beseech you also that you receive not the grace of God in vain. What grace? The grace he that they received in verse 21. They were made the righteousness of God. For by grace are you saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It's a gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus unto good works. Every one of us. Now, my friend, I, I want to tell you that uh, there is a grave responsibility upon every believer to have a ministry, to be a minister. And this word, by the way, this word ministry and, and minister is talking about serving. It's not talking about an office. He's talking about a ministry or a, 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 an action of serving other people. So now that you have this grace, he says, I, I pray that you receive not the grace of God in vain, which means to no purpose, with no effect, with no results. Uh, look back to 1 Corinthians chapter 15 for a moment. And we see how Paul alludes to this very concept again in his life. In verse 10, he says, But by the grace of God, I am what I am, and his grace which was bestowed upon me was not in vain. In other words, uh, without results. Now, he, he, why is that? He says, I labored more abundantly than they all, but yet not I, but the grace of God which was with me. So Paul says, you can receive the grace of God in vain, but not me, he said. I, I, I'm not, I did not receive the grace of God in vain. I took it and I ran with it. 
I didn't excuse uh, uh, my inactivity. I grabbed a hold of the grace of God. I believed God to do the impossible. I believed God to do great and mighty things. And the grace of God, which was with me, enabled me to minister. So many people get saved and then they just sit. In fact, I think, uh, I think the statistics say that 22% of people in the average church do 80% of the work. 20% rather, 20% of the people in, in the average church do 80% of the work. 20% of the people give 80% of the money. What do the other 80% do? Well, an awful lot of people... Uh, come on Sunday morning and they, they think that's pretty good Christianity and some come on Sunday night uh, and, and some get involved, some don't. Some have a ministry and some don't for various reasons. But what Paul is saying is, going back to our text in, in 2 Corinthians chapter 6, he says, we beseech you, in other words, we implore you, we beg you to not receive the grace of God in vain. Before I was ever saved, before I was born again, I ran away from home at 16. I rented a room. I quit school. <laughs> I bought a car for $70. <laughs> I remember that car. It had a hole in the floorboard and a hole in the manifold, and I had to keep the windows open because it didn't go out the exhaust. It went through the cab of the car. 1941 Oldsmobile with a high dramatic drive. And I went down the road and I hit the gas and the smoke just billowed out the windows. I just knew everybody thought I was so cool. Had a rag I had to wipe the inside of the windshield with. And I always wore black clothes for obvious reasons. But, um, but when I, when I, even as a teenage runaway without Christ, I'm lying in, in, my, in my bed one night and I remember this crack in the ceiling and the plaster. And I remember lying there as a 16-year-old runaway, lost kid. And I, this question came to my mind. Of all the people in the world, why did God create me? Why am I here? What's my purpose? And little did I know that what God was doing was preparing me to ask that question after I became a Christian. I hope you've asked that question. I hope you're asking that question. Because God has saved you. God has given you reconciliation. God has eradicated your sin. God has forgiven you all your sin. And God has given you the grace of salvation. And so Paul says, now that you have this grace, don't receive it in vain. Now read on with me because now he gets, he's coming to the place where he's telling them how that grace uh, can be used. He says, um, verse 2, for he saith, I have heard thee in a time accepted or a favorable time. And in the day of salvation, by the way, there are five meanings for the word salvation in the Bible. Every time, just because you read the word salvation does not mean conversion. It may mean deliverance, as in this case. So when he's talking here about salvation, he's talking about grace and help that has come in a time of need, a favorable time, which is right now, to do something for God. 
This is not future grace. This is not past grace. This is grace right now to succor you, to help you, to deliver you from your sin in your life in order to serve him. That's what this verse is all about. Then he says, uh, now is the day of salvation. So he says, so get to it. That's what he's saying. Get to it. Take this wonderful grace that you have from this reconciliation you have from God, where he imputes not your sin, nor marks them, nor keeps a record of them. He saves you. He makes you the righteousness of God in Christ. He gives you the grace of God. Now don't waste that grace. That's what he's saying. Don't waste that grace. Put it to use. But when you put it to use, keep something in mind. Verse uh, number three giving no offense in anything that the ministry be not blamed. Now, what does that mean? Well, I have found the word offense to be uh, a, uh, a club that a lot of Christians use to get you to stop doing what you're doing because they don't like it. Uh, that offends me, brother. And we always talk in the church about offending a brother in Christ. But what we don't make, the, the, our, our failure is making a distinction in preferential taste and, uh, uh, and spiritually draining activity. There's a difference. If you said to me, well, Brother Benny, you know, that ring offends me that you wear. I, I don't think a man should wear jewelry. That offends me. Well, if you mean by that, you don't like it. <laughs> then I, I'm going to say to you, well, my wife bought that for me. <laughs> I mean, I'm going to wear it. But if you said to me, uh, Brother Benny, you know, I, I just saved out of a cult. And we wore that exact ring as a symbol of our membership. When I see that ring, I go back in my memory and I sin in my memory. I'll take it off. Why? Because that word means it causes you to stumble in your Christian walk. If this tie offends you, I, I'm not going to take it off because you don't like it. But if it causes you to stumble in your Christian life, I'll burn it. You with me? In fact, the, the major word for offend in the New Testament is scandalizo. We get the word scandal from that. Offend means to put a, a stone in your path to cause you to stumble in your spiritual walk. When I first got saved, uh, before I got saved, you, you might be surprised to know this, my great ambition was to be a professional dancer. I wanted to be on the Dean Martin show. I wanted to be one of those dancers. I mean, this, is, this was my goal. I invented dances. Uh, at the local dance club, they call me Rubber Legs Benny. <laughs> so I love to dance. And then, and then uh, I got saved. Two things happened. First of all, uh, I didn't want to give up my dancing, so I wanted to be a dancing evangelist. <laughs> I'm, I'm 17 years old. I've just been saved. I go to the sock hop, Friday night sock hop, which is, by the way, conducted at the Downey Avenue Christian Church every Friday night, and the, and the chaperones are the deacons. So uh, 
I decided, okay, Lord, I, I'm going to do it. And I'm out there with some girl, and I'm doing all this stuff, you know. And I said, hey, are you a Christian? And she stopped, and she said, no, are you? <laughs> I said, yeah, this is it. This is my entry. Yeah. Then she put her hands on her hips, and she said, then what are you doing here? Isn't it interesting that the world has higher standards than the Christians? That's the first thing I learned. I found out that, that uh, I had to give up my dancing. But I go to Bob Jones Academy. I'm in student body on a Saturday morning, and two guys get up, and they sing a song by the Everly Brothers called Dream. I danced to that song a thousand times. I'm a new Christian. I'm sitting there, and you know what? They offended me. Because I stumbled in my walk. In my memory, I went back to when I danced with the girls to that song. And their liberty became a stumbling block, scandalizo, to me who was weak. All right, so what Paul is saying here, look at it now. He says, uh, giving no offense in anything. The first measure of solid grace motivation is that we don't offend people. We don't set out to offend, but rather uh, we protect the ministry. By the way, if you'll notice here, he says that the ministry be not blamed. Now, he is not talking about the pastorate. I'm not sure how the term the ministry got attached to the pastorate. I'm not sure why. Uh, and this bothered me as a pastor. Why am I in the ministry and you have a ministry? That's not what this is talking about. This is not talking about any specific ministry. It's talking about your service for God. Any cause of Christ in which you're involved, any purpose of God that you are a part of, this is, is the ministry. So he said, be sure you don't offend because it's the ministry that will be blamed, not you. We don't, we don't even remember Jimmy Swaggart and Jimmy Baker anymore, but you know what people do remember? Immoral evangelists. The fact is people can sin as Christians and die and get buried, but um, what's remembered is that the ministry gets blamed. Those people at the church, those hypocrites... He says, don't let that happen. But instead, watch what he says now. Now we're coming to the heart of it. All that was introduction. In verse uh, 4, he says, in all things, approving ourselves as the ministers of God. Approving ourselves as the ministers of God. Now, why is that important? Well, I, I think one of the great uh, needs that everybody has, at least everybody I know, is we do need... Uh, approval. Uh, we're, we're geared that way. We're wired that way. In fact, I think there's three major needs that everyone has. They have the need of acceptance. They have a need of completeness. Uh, in other words, a purpose. They have a need of sufficiency or empowerment uh, 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 to accomplish their purpose. 
And so many people set out uh, in their life to find approval. They want to be accepted. They don't find their acceptance in Christ because they're not saved. And so uh, they have two choices now, approval from God or approval from man. Where am I going to get my approval? And so many people then, they set out to get their approval from men. But the problem with that is that that is so, uh, that is so temporary. And you can very easily become addicted to the fear of man, which bringeth the snare. The fear of man, the need of approval on one side of the coin, the fear of rejection on the other side of the coin. And so you're always like a little puppy dog running from door to door to get somebody to pet you. And you become addicted to the approval of your friends in high school. You become addicted to the approval of your peers or, those, or whoever you work with instead of God. The other option is to find your approval in God. But now we got a problem. Because the devil wants to convince everybody, you know, God doesn't love you. And by the way, if I could uh, just challenge your thought with something Pastor and I have talked about is what I've discovered is a concept called prejudicial misdirection. Prejudicial misdirection simply means that because of your prejudice, uh, the truth is misdirected. Let's say you grew up in a home where you're not loved. In fact, you're abused and you're verbally attacked and you're told all your life you're no good. You'll never amount to anything. Nobody loves you. God doesn't love you. You feel like you're born under a curse. You get saved. You open the Bible. For God so loved the world. Oh, yeah, yeah, that didn't include me. Prejudicial misdirection immediately misdirects that truth away from you and convinces you you're not worthy of God's love. I've asked eight pastors, uh, ten pastors. Well, I've asked more than that, but I asked in a very short time ten pastors that I counseled, do you feel that God loves you? The fact is, that according to research, 75% of Christians have a disconnect between what they believe about God and what they feel about God. So I said to this one pastor, do you feel God loves you? And he looked at me, he said, I accept it by faith. That's a safe answer. It's a correct theological answer, but it wasn't the answer to my question. I, I said, I'm not asking what you believe, I'm asking what you feel. In your heart of hearts, when you're alone, do you feel deeply that God really loves me? He stared at me for a moment. Magically, these tears appeared and ran down this wooden countenance. And he said to me, Brother Benny, I guess I've never felt that God loved me. And I had the reason for his maniacal obsession with success. He wasn't serving God from love. He was serving God for love. You see the difference? And so when we come to this option of God and his acceptance and his approval, uh, the devil arranges all of these 
uh, prejudicial misdirections and hoops we have to jump through because certainly uh, I can't get God's approval, can I? And by the way, let me say that what we're going to read here in a moment is ministry approval and not personal approval. That the ministry be not blamed. That's what he's saying here. And he's making a point that uh, you can be approved as the minister of God. You don't have to be approved as a child of God because you're accepted in the beloved and you're the righteousness of God in Christ. Amen? So we don't have to jump through any hoops. We don't have to do anything. We don't have to determine anything because the record is clear that we are accepted in the beloved. But what about our life? What about our legacy? What about when we get to the end of our life and we look back on all the years of our life and we try to determine, does my life make a difference? Have I done something that will, have I had a ministry that will last for eternity? And church, I'm telling you today, until you get this in your soul that you must have a ministry. You must please God. You must be approved of God with your ministry. You're going to miss out on some of the greatest joys God has for you. Now, how do you, how do you know you're approved? He says in verse 4, in all things approving ourselves as ministers of God. Now, between verse 4 and let's see, in verse 10, there are 27 descriptions of an approved minister. 27. Now, first of all, in verse 4, you see the preposition in, but in all things approving ourselves as a ministers of God. That is when you are approved as a minister of God. See in verse 6, the word, the preposition by, it's repeated over and over. By pureness, by knowledge, by long-suffering, and so forth. That's how you're approved as a minister of God. Then beginning in the middle of verse 8, the preposition changes to as, as deceivers, and yet true, as unknown, and yet well-known. That's why you're approved as a minister of God. So Paul lays out in his life, and for the sake of these Corinthian Christians who now are uh, working in the grace of God to have a ministry, this is how you can know that any ministry you have is approved of God. Now, I know, I know uh, a lot of pastors. In fact, I was one of them whose approval as a minister of God was not found in this list. Instead, it was found in bodies and bucks and buildings and more this year than last year. Productivity, performance, success, numbers, Statistics, a growing church, new buildings, money in the bank, decisions at the altar, all of that is what showed whether I was approved of God. In fact, I, I read an ad, a, a newspaper ad that said, every month souls are being saved. This is the measure of our true worth and value to God as a church. The measure, they said, was souls being saved. Well, my friend, I got news for you. God has a whole different standard here. And they're all about enduring pressure of all things. It's all about pressure. 
How you respond to pressure is when you are approved of God. How you react to pressure is more important to God as your approval. Now, watch what I mean, for instance. In verse 4, he's saying here that um, there is the pressure of faithful endurance. First of all, the endurance of painful circumstances in much patience. See that? Now, the in much patience means the endurance of difficult circumstances. In fact, if you go to chapter 11 of 2 Corinthians, uh, Paul, in proving his worth as an apostle and a minister of God, uh, made it very clear that, uh, let's see, uh, wait, is it Second Corinthians? Yeah, okay, I'll be there. I'll see you in a minute. <laughs> Second Corinthians chapter 11. Uh, he's saying, uh, uh, let's see. Verse 23. Are they ministers of Christ? I speak as a fool. I am more. So there were these false apostles claiming to be ministers of Christ. And now... Paul is going to prove that he is a minister of Christ. By the way, uh, just as a reminder, when Paul talked about himself, he spared no uh, 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 negative words. I am the chief of sinners. I am the least of the apostles. I'm not worthy to be called an apostle. When he talked about himself, but when he talked about his office, uh, I think nine of his epistles begin with his claim to be an apostle. Because so many people were saying, he's not really an apostle. Uh, he's not a true servant of God. Are they ministers? He says, I am more. How does he prove that? Watch. In labors more abundant, in stripes above measure, I've been whipped with a cat of nine tails. I've got so many stripes on my back, I lost count of them. More frequent in deaths, often. He was left for dead after he was stoned, for example. Of the Jews, five times received I 40 stripes, save one. They would not allow 40 stripes because 40 was considered the envelope of death. And so when you receive the punishment of having stripes, they limited it to 39 to not cross that line. Five times he went through that. And by the way, Full-grown, strong, muscular men were reduced to babbling incoherency by the 20th stripe. Paul had 39 stripes five times. His back looked like a solid scar tissue. Are they ministers? I am more. And here's why. This is my approval. Thrice was I beaten with rods. Once was I stoned. Thrice I suffered shipwreck. A night and a day I have been in the deep, in journeyings often, in perils of waters, in perils of robbers, in perils by my own countrymen, in perils by the heathen, in perils in the city, in perils in the wilderness, in perils in the sea, in perils among false brethren, in weariness, painfulness, Watchings often, hunger and thirst, and fastings often, and cold and nakedness. And beside those things that are without, that which cometh upon me daily, 
the care of all the churches. In verse 30, he said, if I must glory, if I must needs glory, I will glory of the things which concern mine infirmities. And so what Paul is saying is that the pressure of faithful endurance is when you're approved of God. And by the way, if you look at chapter 5 of 2 Corinthians, uh, verse, um, let's see, uh, 9, Paul says, Wherefore we labor, that whether present or absent, we may be accepted of him. I like what Alexander McLaren said about that verse. He said, uh, this phrase, well-pleasing, is not merely that we may be accepted, but that we may bring a smile to his face and some joy and delight in us into his heart when he looks at our doings. Just as really as your mother, uh, your mothers are glad when you uh, return from a far off land and they hear that their boy is doing well so Jesus Christ's heart fills with gladness when he sees you and me walking in the paths in which he would have us go in other words the real test of approval is pleasing him bringing a smile to his face bringing joy to his heart, hearing him say, well done thou good and faithful servant. And that's what he's talking about here. So he says, this is when you're approved in the pressure of faithful endurance, the endurance of painful circumstances in much patience. And what happens when God sees that? Well, God smiles. But it means more than that. It means more than just mere patience. It means patience that is so transcendent. Patience that is so strong. Patience that is so constant that it pushes through the wall of impossibility and comes out on the other side with a victory for God. Daniel had patience. And Daniel went to the lion's den. But because Daniel had much patience, God is glorified today when we talk about Daniel in the lion's den. Joseph had patience. He was in prison for two years, but at the, at the end, he pushed through the wall and he came out on the other side as the prime minister of the nation and saved the entire world population from starvation. There are many examples of that. How about a Bill and Kathy Rice, whose daughter was born deaf, who grieved over it. But they went to their knees, they committed it to God, and then they got up and they pushed through the wall. And what happened? They formed an international ministry and thousands and tens of thousands of deaf people have been saved as a result. What about a John and Brenda Vaughn, whose five-year-old daughter is terribly burned and losing some of her fingers and horribly uh, in, 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 in some ways uh, deformed. Multiple plastic surgeries. What did they do? They got so burdened uh, for people with their daughter's condition, they formed a school called Hidden Treasure 
Christian Academy devoted to the care and the education of deformed children. And what about a, what about a Ron and Shelley Hamilton? Uh, Ron was a friend of mine in college. And by the way, you need to pray for Ron. He's having some struggles right now, but um, he got cancer of the eye. And uh, he lost his eye. And so he's in a store with a patch over his eye. And a little boy looks at, up at him and says, Mister, he said, are you a pirate? <laughs> and he got the vision that little children like pirates. So he decided to be a good pirate and call himself Patch the Pirate. And 20 million CDs later, and untold tens of thousands of children who've learned to love broccoli. <laughs> Well, they learned, they, they learned to sing about broccoli. I uh, have it been influenced because of much patience. This is when you're approved of God. It's not just putting up with something. It's overcoming something with such patience that in the end, God is glorified because of the much patience. And it does say much patience. That may refer to its duration, that may refer to its weight, uh, that may refer to its intensity. But if you have much patience, you're approved of God. God smiles. But there's also the endurance uh, of a burdened heart. You see the term in afflictions. In afflictions. These are crushing pressures and weights upon your spirit that take the very energy and sap the life out of you. Now, uh, Paul uh, talks about this. If you look in 2 Corinthians chapter 1, I love this passage. It's always been special to me because God revealed this to me uh, in my uh, life in a very special way. But Paul is saying in chapter 1 of 2 Corinthians, uh, verse 3, Blessed be the God of all comfort, who comforteth us in all our tribulation, that we may be able to comfort them which are in any trouble by the comfort wherewith we ourselves are comforted of God. And then he says, For as the sufferings of Christ abound in us, so our consolation also aboundeth by Christ. And whether we be afflicted, it is for your consolation and salvation, which is effectual in the enduring of the same sufferings which we also suffer. Then verse 8. We would not, brethren, have you ignorant of our trouble which came to us in Asia, that we were pressed out of measure, above strength, insomuch that we despaired even of life. But we had the sentence of death in ourselves, that we should not trust in ourselves, but in God which raiseth the dead. That's afflictions. Now, here's, here's what I want you to see as we go through this list. All of the standard Christian criteria for good Christianity are missing. I should say many of them. Which is success and, and, and productivity and performance. That's when God approves of you, right? God approves of somebody uh, like these dear folks who did a wonderful... By the way, I never saw a guitar uh, and a, 
what do you call that thing? Flute. Uh, I guess you could say, uh, it's, it, we can make it more classy, a violin with a stick uh, or a violin with strings uh, make that kind of music. Wasn't that beautiful? Yeah. But see, we look at them and say, oh, now they're approved of God. They have talent. They have uh, ministry. They're on the platform. But see, I'm a nobody. I just sit in the pews. And uh, I can never be approved of God like that. But the fact is, you can't. You are. And you will be if you find God's standard of approval instead of man's standard of approval. And what is it? It's much afflictions. Then uh, there's also the endurance of unavoidable duty. You see that next term in necessities. Now what's necessity? Necessity is the inescapable demands and the necessary duties, the drudgery of routine. This is when uh, you comfort somebody when you wish you could be comforted. This is when you smile when you don't feel like smiling. This is when you minister when you'd rather be fishing. This is when you, uh, you answer the phone and I, I, I had one, I had one church member. Um, his name was Ken. He was my resident whiner and he only called me uh, when he had a problem, a problem he didn't want to fix he just wanted to dump. And we didn't have answering machines back in those days. What I would give him for one. But when I picked up the phone and I heard this, Hello, Pastor Benny. This is Ken. Can you come over and see me? I feel awful bad. And what do you do? I'll take two aspirins and go to bed. <laughs> no. Uh, when you when you don't when you're when you don't feel like it and you do it, that is what is called a necessity. Paul says, "Though I preach the gospel, I have nothing to glory of, for necessity is laid upon me. Yea, woe is unto me if I preach not the gospel." This is a duty. This is a raw, grinding duty. It's not fun. Lady came to me one time and she said, "Brother Benny, I'm going to quit my Sunday school class because I don't get a blessing anymore." And you know what? She didn't understand necessity. You girls who work in that nursery and you change those diapers and you do that week after week after week and you wonder, what is this all about? This is a necessity. Sometimes ministries are necessities and they're not fun. But when you do them, God smiles. And how about distresses? Distresses are the endurance of the double bind. That's when you're hemmed in from all sides. If you do wrong, you're in trouble. If you do right, you're in trouble. I remember in one church, there was a man in my church I found out that was extorting, by my count, 22 of my church members of tens of thousands of dollars. Now you say, that's a pretty easy decision. Well, no, it really wasn't because uh, not only was he an extortioner, he uh, was uh, the most likable guy in the church. He played a number of instruments. He had a bridal shop. He made bridal cakes. Uh, the girls loved him. He had a big smile. And I knew I had a problem. If I did nothing, he'd keep extorting and fleecing the flock. But if I took a stand, uh, I could lose, it, it could split the church. And five families left when I uh, excommunicated him. I should say I, the church, 
Um, and it was one of the hardest things I've ever done in my life. It's a double bind. It's what is called distress. And by the way, for many Christians, that's your Achilles heel because you, of all people, have mercy. So there's a pressure of faithful endurance. There's a pressure of unjust persecution. I, I'm probably going to have to uh, bring this a little short and rush through these. But this persecution involves the persecution of physical attacks. Paul was physically attacked. Uh, he, he, we read about that. If any man suffer as a Christian, the Bible says, let him not be ashamed, but let him glory, uh, glorify God on this behalf. I have found that the closer you get to the cross, the thinner the crowd gets. Uh, we, we want to pray not that we may know him and the fellowship of his sufferings. We want the fellowship of his comfort. We want the fellowship of his happiness. We don't pray for we don't pray like Christians used to pray. As, as long as Jesus fed the, the multitudes and healed them, there were so many they had no leisure so much as to eat. And that was a sustenance crowd. But when it came to salvation, few there be that find it. The crowd gets smaller. But when it came to service, the crowd got even smaller. And even they, um, the 70 forsook him and fled. And, and when it came to actual sacrifice or suffering, how many of this mob are at the cross? How many are at the foot of the cross when Jesus is hanging on the cross? One disciple, five women. So where are all those people? The closer you get to the cross, the thinner the crowd gets. Because we don't want to suffer. We want to be comfortable. And so he talks about physical attack. And then there is the persecution uh, or the pressure of imprisonment. Now, he was in jail seven times. So Jeremiah was in jail, Daniel, Joseph, Paul, Silas. And every time God smiled. But you know why? Because God approved. I was in court for three years. I didn't go to jail, although uh, our Christian school in Holland, Michigan, was facing um, a, a, a court. Uh, I was facing jail because I was the pastor. And uh, David Gibbs and the CLA defended us. But... Uh, it was a rugged three years because they wanted to close our school down. And in fact, they sent an injunction against me and they said, if you open the school, you will be put in jail. I was the president of the Michigan Fellowship of Pastors. <laughs> I got 50 pastors to sign a document that if I were put in jail, they would open the school the next day until the list ran out. It was an election year. The judge didn't like this. He didn't want to put 50 pastors in jail. So uh, they let us open the school. At least they didn't arrest me. After seven months, they called me before the judge at a show cause hearing to show cause why I should not be put in jail. And um, I remember it very vividly. I mean, I, I was on the witness stand for about 15 hours 
uh, being drilled by the attorney general. Um, but I remember the judge allowed me to ask a question. And uh, I, I said, may, may I ask a question, Your Honor? He said, well, that's highly irregular, but I, he said, I'll allow it. Now, there are, there are 450 people outside the courtroom. ABC, NBC, and CBS cameras are out there waiting uh, for this to be over. The jury is packed with reporters, and the, and the room is filled with uh, our church members, which was really nice. So I raised my hand, and I said, Your Honor, if our building is dangerous and unsafe, as the state says, and it's too dangerous for children to be in there, uh, and that's the reason for this show calls hearing, then, then why have you waited seven years and allowed those children uh, to go in that building every day? On the other hand, Your Honor, if it's safe enough for occupancy, then what am I doing here in a court of law? Well, as it turned out, what happened after three years? And by the way, he had no answer except that safety is a relative term. But after three years, the state that was taking us to court sold us seven acres of land with the 5,000 square foot uh, school building, turnkey, perfect, with playground equipment, fenced in, for $37,900. And uh, God vindicated us. I didn't go to jail. We got a, a beautiful building out of it. And, uh, and yet, uh, I remember sitting in the courtroom and the bailiff, who was a Christian, came up to me with good intentions. <laughs> he, said, he said, Pastor Benny, when they put you in jail, ask for the work release program. <laughs> I could just see myself coming into the pulpit in an orange jumpsuit every Sunday to preach with, with, with uh, hackles on or shackles on, imprisonments. All right, now I'm going to draw it to a close there because um, I, I know y'all want to uh, get to the restaurant and everything. But, but let me summarize it by saying this. Uh, and by the way, this is in, 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 in my book if you want to... If you want to see it in print, it is found in this book, Holding Up Holy Hands, and they are available. Uh, that's a dirty trick. <laughs> I'm going to preach half my sermon. If you want the rest of it, you've got to buy my book. <laughs> wow. But here's the conclusion. Look, what this means is everybody in this room can be approved of God. Everybody can have a ministry that God approves of. Everyone can leave a legacy that God smiles at. God is not saying to anybody here, you have to have certain gifts or talent or personality or IQ or EQ. You don't have to have certain training. You don't have to have certain experience. Everybody can have a ministry that's approved of God. You as a person are accepted in the beloved. You are the righteousness of God in Christ right now. That's a done deal. But now your life, your ministry, your purpose of existence can bring a smile to the face of God because you have met the criteria that anybody can meet. 
And I guess what this is saying is that nobody really has a, uh, nobody really has a, a curse on them. Nobody's hated by God. But God wants your life to count. You've been saved. You have the grace of God in your life. And now we beseech you, brethren, to not uh, use the grace of God in vain. To no purpose. You have the grace of God, my friend. You have the grace of God and all of his power and all of his glory. And why did God save you by grace? God saved you by grace because God wants you to know that you are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus unto good works. What are your good works? What is your ministry? What is your legacy? What have you been putting off because you don't feel approved of God? Well, you are approved of God and, uh, and can be approved of God as you take that grace that God has given you and you apply it. I think I told you the story. Um, uh, if, if I recall, I may, may not have. I was uh, at the wilds. Tom Farrell had a preacher's conference at the wilds, asked me to come and preach. And I, I got so burdened about this. Uh, I, he wanted a, 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 I think this is the first time he had done it just for the pastors, and he wanted it to be on revival and a revival theme. I got so burdened. Uh, I went to the wilds two days early and fasted and prayed uh, for two days in as much as I could. I walked all through the wilds for those two days. I just walked and I prayed. And I, and I, I prayed at night. I couldn't stop praying. And I, I just begging God for power and begging God for his blessing and begging God to do something through this. I was so burdened about this. And so the, the, the time came for me to preach. And uh, uh, just before I went up to preach, Tom uh, stops me and he says, listen, Jim, they just called me uh, from the teen side of the camp. Their speaker didn't show up and they want me to preach. So I'm going to leave uh, you with Ben, my son. And so, um, but I'll be back in a little bit. So I, I preached my heart out. I poured everything into that and I asked for a response and out of uh, 125 I think I counted two hands I cannot tell you how disappointed I was I cannot tell you how crushed I was how deflated I was how depressed I was and you know uh, I, but I still got to shake hands and smile and all that I did the best I could do and then Tom shows up. He comes about, if y'all, you know Tom Farrell, right? right? He comes bouncing in with all that energy he's got, you know. Hey, Brother Benny, how'd it go? Um, I said, well, nobody left. <laughs> and, and, and they didn't ask me to leave. <laughs> that's, that's pretty good. I said, how did you do? Oh, bless God, he said, we had 60 saved. <laughs> Ain't that great? Yeah, that's great. I pray and I fast for two days. I get two people to raise their hands. You go off on a lark. And you just preach a sermon. You have 60 saved. Yeah, praise the Lord. Isn't that terrible? I hope you would be bigger than that. But you know what happened? 
uh, for over a year, a week did not go by that one of those preachers didn't contact me and tell me that that message had changed their life. That it had so impacted them, they were stunned. And they didn't know how to respond. And so what was God doing? God was wanting to know, what was I looking to for approval? Was I looking to the response of men or was I looking to God? And uh, so now when I get finished, and by the way, I don't know if, if this is, if other preachers have this problem. Every time I preach, before I preach, there's a struggle. Every time I preach, after I preach, I have a struggle. I shouldn't have said that. I didn't, I, 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 I should have said something I didn't say. I shouldn't have said something I did say. You guys go through this? Chris, you go through this? Pastors, do you ever experience that? No? <laughs> but now I finish and uh, I say, Lord, uh, are you smiling? Are, are you pleased? And if I know God is pleased, that's all I need anymore. The rest is gravy. So I just want you to know, I do not need your compliments. You do not have to slap me on the back and tell me what a wonderful preacher I am. You understand? <laughs> All right. Well, thank you for your patience. Let's pray, and we'll turn it over to the pastor. Lord, I thank you so much that we can be approved as a minister of God. I thank you we can have a ministry. I thank you that every person in this room can have a ministry whether it's preaching or singing or passing out tracts, whether it's witnessing, teaching a class, working with the boys and girls, singing in the choir, whatever it may be, give us a heart for ministry. Lord, you have reconciled us. You have, uh, you have not kept track of our sins. You have made us to be the righteousness of God in Christ. You have given us your grace. You have called us to a ministry so that we do not have the grace of God to no purpose. And so help us now, Lord, as we serve you to uh, know in our heart of hearts that you smile, that you're approved. I pray that you would challenge some Christians who don't have a ministry to jump in. I pray that you would encourage all who do have a ministry to realize that your standards and the world's standards can be different, but that we can be approved of God. Thank you for this opportunity to share the word of God in Christ's name. If you would like to know more about the Lord Jesus Christ, you may contact us at the church website, gospelbaptistchurch.com, or you can go to Facebook and type in Gospel Baptist Church Bonita Springs, Florida. Also, you could call the church office at 239-947-1285. Thank you, and God bless.